All right, Porch, how we doing? Good. We are wrapping up our series tonight, There He Said It. And before we do that, I wanna welcome one specific Porch Live location. It is a significant night for them. And it's actually a historic moment because these guys are about to break off and be their own young adult ministry and serve their city. And they were actually the first Porch Live location to ever exist. So this is a really big deal. And we could not be more excited for these people. We believe in their team and their staff and their city. And we are so excited to welcome and say thank you and send off in an honoring way, a strong way, give it up for the Porch Live Fort Worth for tuning in tonight. We love you guys, we're praying for you guys, and we are so excited to see the way that you impact the young adults all across Fort Worth, Texas. And of course, my friends tonight in Dallas, welcome. Uh, last week, David, he talked about the shocking statement from Jesus, which was, ask and you shall receive. It was just this really great reminder that God wants his children to come and ask and seek and knock and be persistent because he loves to give good things to his children. And tonight we're taking like a pretty big turn because that was in Matthew chapter six. Jesus is teaching his first sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And this text is in Matthew chapter seven where Jesus is wrapping up that sermon and he just kind of really takes a big turn that is kind of a downer. And this passage, I mean, shocking is an understatement. This passage actually haunted me for majority of my life. I used to read this text alone in my room and not know what to think. And it's a really, really important, important statement that we need to take heed to. And Jesus, he takes this statement serious because he's serious about us. He's serious about us being with him. And so let's read Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, and he's talking about the day where he returns as king and comes and takes those who are his into heaven. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Tonight's shocking statement from Jesus is depart from me, I never knew you. But before we talk about that, I wanna pray for us. God, I ask that you would come and do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and perform the miraculous? Would you take our superficial thoughts, our superficial circumstances, our superficial ideologies, and would you transform them into a supernatural awakening of the love of Jesus that he has for every single person in this room. I pray that there is someone here tonight that when they read this passage 
And the first thing that comes to their mind is fear and worry and anxiety, questioning, is that gonna be me? Is Jesus gonna let me into heaven? I pray right now you would just bring them a sense of peace, an ability to listen and understand your heart. I pray that this is not a message that sends condemnation, but shows your divine character for us, the people that you radically love, that you would do anything for to be with forever. It's your holy name that we pray, amen. I remember in college, I was hanging out with my friends one night, it was Halloween weekend, and everyone knew at SFA, Lumberjacks, Axum Jacks, we got, we got two, two, what? Yeah, three of you. Uh, um, in Nacogdoches, Texas, you knew that there was one place you wanted to be on Halloween weekend, and it was the ATO party. Everyone else knew that but me, because I wasn't really a fraternity guy. I know that you can probably tell. And, but my roommate was. He was like the poster of fraternity guys. He was actually the president of ATO. And so he was over this whole party and he goes and is like spending all day planning for it. They have this house kind of off campus with this backyard with this like private fence set up and it just floods with college students and it's just the place to be. Anyone who's anyone's gonna be there, you gotta be there except for me and my friends. And so we're at home and we're chilling and I'm like, yeah, like, who needs fraternities? And my friend's like, I kind of would go. I, I wish I was there. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it kind of sounds cool. It's better than Nintendo 64, you know, like, I mean, we could go and like hang out. And he's like, yeah, but we don't have any tickets. Like if only we had tickets. And in that moment, I was like, I know, I know the president. Like he's my homie, he's my, he's my roommate. I know Connor. And so I'm like, I got us, let's go. And so we kind of get Halloween costumed up and we head over to the ATO house. I mean, the cars are just parked miles down the road. We're walking, you can hear the bump of the music in the distance, we're getting excited. My guys are getting amped, like, this is awesome, this is such an amazing, it's about to be such an amazing night. We're getting so excited and we're pulling up. And right when we're walking up, there's two guys, they were definitely pledges. They cover the entrance <laughs> and they're like, ticket. And I'm like, ticket. What do you think I am, a peasant? And I'm like, actually, I got the VIP. I know the president. I know Connor Negley. And he's like, man, do you know how many people know Connor Negley? We need your ticket. And I'm looking at my guys and I'm like, don't worry, guys. And I get out my phone and I'm like, Connor, meet me at the front. I need you to come up here. And they're like, if you can get Connor to come up here, we'll let you in. And so I'm calling Connor and my guys are like, yo, are you getting us in or not? And I'm starting to sweat. I'm starting to feel like, you know, such, like, such a buzzkill. Connor won't answer his phone. You can hear everyone screaming, like something just crazy happened, like someone jumped off a roof and I'm like, I gotta get in there. And I start there because I think a lot of us in the same way, we are living life and we think we know the president or Jesus and we're gonna be very disappointed and surprised if we were to get to heaven one day and he looks and says, you're not in the list. I don't know you, I'm sorry. And I think a lot of us, when we think about that, we're like, wait, I don't, I don't necessarily like to talk about that. It's not a fun thing to talk about because we love to talk about Jesus as the loving guy. We like to see the painting of Jesus with the lamb that he's petting or with the children. We see Jesus as kind of like this softy, 
he's gentle and grace-filled and like, I mean, if he was truly like loving and good, wouldn't he want everyone to come to heaven? And the answer is absolutely yes. Jesus is all of those things. And a lot of people like to talk about the loving Jesus, but the reality is, is he's not just the loving Jesus, but also the judging Jesus. And I wanna be careful when I say that, but because the Bible refers to Jesus a lot of times as a judge. And when I say that, I do not mean that he is looking for people, inflicting bad things on them, being a mean, angry God, judging people. I mean that he acts as a judge. The Bible says that he's gonna, people are gonna stand before him and whether they believed in him or not will determine whether they get to spend eternity with him. And in that moment, he's acting as a judge. But we think, and a lot of us think, oh, I know Jesus, I can get in. And to our surprise, when we get there, he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And just because the reality of what Jesus is saying here is that he's not going to let everyone in does not mean that his heart and his desire is not to want to be with everyone in heaven. Jesus wants everyone to be with him forever. But the reality is, is not everyone will be because they didn't believe him and take him at his word in their time on earth. I believe this message is the most shocking statement in all the statements that we've covered because this isn't just talking about getting into some ATO party. This is talking about your eternity, where you're gonna spend life forever with your creator or separated from him. And Jesus cares a lot that you know him and that you are with him. And so what I wanna do with this message is not bring a lot of attention to like, oh, will I get to heaven? Because will I get to heaven is making you the focal point and that's the problem. But tonight what we're gonna answer is do you know Jesus? Do you actually know Jesus? Because when you answer and come to the realization of do you actually know Jesus, the point of that equation is Jesus. And if you don't figure out now on earth that the point of everything is about Jesus and not yourself, you're gonna to get to heaven and be disappointed when he doesn't let you in. The time to know Jesus is now, not then. Because if you wait till then, it'll be too late. That's what we're gonna to see tonight. And so as you take notes for my note takers, this is how we can know and be assured that we know Jesus and he knows us. So let's look at the first verse. Let's talk about what it looks like to really know Jesus. Verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This shows me that saying you're a Christian does not make you a Christian, okay? Many people will say to me, Lord, Lord. And in that moment, they're saying, hey, like, you're Lord, you're Lord. But Jesus' response is like, no, no, I don't, I don't know you. That's not true of you. Because you can declare with your mouth all day that Jesus is Lord, but do your actions exemplify that? Has that been your reality? Have you made him Lord of your life or just Lord of your mouth? Like if you just said he's Lord, because saying that he's Lord, saying you're a Christian does not make him Lord of your life, does not make you a Christian. And we're gonna see that. 
Just like saying, hey, I'm a good singer does not make me a good singer. Like one of the biggest things that baffle me is American Idol contests, like videos on YouTube and Facebook. I'm watching and they do the same thing every time. They like reel you in the first 15 seconds and you're like, okay, I'm hooked. I'm watching all eight minutes now. And you're watching and they do this like testimonial video and you're getting invested in their story. And you're like, I really hope like Megan makes it to the end. And she's had a really hard upbringing and like got to get out of this small town and pursue her dream of Hollywood. And I'm rooting for Megan. And like, you're like, this is about to be the best voice I've ever heard. This is the next Carrie Underwood. And she walks out and the judges are like, Megan, are you ready to change your life? And she's like, I am. And you're like, yes, Megan, Megan. (laughs) And she walks up there and the song starts and she's like, I can almost see it. And the judges, it's like immediately sweat forms. Like, I'm like, you know, just sweating. The judges are like watching and she's going and she's like, you know, getting the, it's the climb, the high note, but she's not hitting it. And you're just wanting it to end now. And it gets to the end and she's standing there and, you know, Simon and the other ones are just like, (laughs) is that not his name? That's his name, right? Oh, the other ones, that's funny. Okay, got it, got it. (laughs) I don't even know the other one's names. Um, But he looks at him and he's like, hey, I don't know how you got here. I don't know who told you that you should be here, but I'm gonna be a good friend to you and a truth teller to you and tell you that you are not, in fact, a good singer. And you should end your desire to be a singer today. Some of you need to hear that right now. That's the truth you need to hear and you can leave. Like, You ain't a singer, all right? I'll be the friend and no one else will be. You need to go pursue a real, anyways. But, and what's even more crazy, these people are trained professionals to decide who's good and who's not. And the audacity of Megan to look at Simon, the king, and be like, I don't care what you say, Simon. Like, I, I am a singer. And they go, they take the, the private interview after and she's like, I'm going back and I'm still going. Like, you know, forget Simon. But the reality is, is the judge had the final say. Like Megan didn't get to go on because the judge told her, hey, you're not a singer. And I think a lot of us, we think because we say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But when your life sings, it sounds nothing but atrocious. And my fear is, is you're gonna get to heaven and you're gonna receive for the first time someone telling you, hey, you're not a Christian, is the judge, that is Jesus. And it's gonna be too late. Saying you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Saying you're a Christian does not mean you live in a way that glorifies Christ. It's about a matter of the heart, not your words, not just professing, but what is actually real. And Jesus is saying, hey, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You can say one thing, but what's real? Am I actually Lord of your life? In the same way, it's the same with friendships. I think the reason why so many of us live this way with Jesus and have this kind of relationship with him, 
where we just say we're a Christian, but yet we don't actually live Christ-like is because we do this with people all around us every day. Like there's something that we are like programmed to do that I've noticed, especially in like our young adult years is we want to be known by everyone and we want everyone to think that we know everyone. Like it brings some sort of significance to our life, especially people that are important and can bring more significance to us. So we'll do anything. We'll stretch anything to make ourselves feel inside of our mind like we know them. I have a few examples here that, you know, just because you say, yeah, that's my friend, doesn't mean it's your friend. The first example is we have the dap em up friend. You know that person that like, you don't ever actually have a conversation. They like show up at the, the crib or the party and they're just like, what up, man? And then like they bounce and you like, don't ever see, like, where did he go? Like, that's all they are. And you've done it like five times, maybe throughout college or since you've lived in Dallas. And then when someone says, hey, do you know so-and-so? Do you know, I don't know, Mark? You're like, yeah, I know Mark. Yeah, that's my homie, that's my guy. Reality is, is like, you've dapped and dipped like every single time. You don't know Mark. You know nothing about Mark. So many of us have dapped and dipped with Jesus. Like there was a time at youth camp or there was that worship service or there was that time that your friend told you about Jesus or your parents told you about Jesus for the first time. And you're like, okay, what's up? I like this. A life of blessings, a life of peace, you say. Heaven, you say. Okay, what's up, Jesus? But then you dipped. Nothing changed. And people today, are you like, hey, do you know Jesus? You're like, yeah, I know Jesus. But you've just met him once. You don't know him. Another example is what I call the follow for follow friendship. I know what I'm talking about. Instagram, you know, we're like, you're like, hey, follow me, I'll follow, you know, follow back. Hashtag follow for follow. We are weird, okay? I'm not even gonna ask you to raise your hand because I know most of you have this reality. So many of us, we have so many friends that we have never actually met, but we know everything about their life. Like, let's say my friend Teresa over here is like, yeah, I have my friend over in Kansas. His name is Anthony and he's so awesome. Y'all would be great friends. And then she goes to Kansas, Kansas and visits Anthony and posts Anthony. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Anthony, she said we'd be friends. I follow Anthony. Anthony follows me. And I'm like watching Anthony's life. He's watching mine. We reply to each other's stories every now and then. And then like the first time you meet Anthony, you're like, this is kind of awkward. Cause like, <laughs> y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. You're like, I know you like, like, but the reality is you don't know him. Like, I don't know Anthony. And I think so many people have done this like follower for follow friendship with Jesus where you're like, hey, I'll follow you Jesus if you follow my agenda, my plans, my wants, my desires every now and then. Like your relationship with Jesus has been through a screen or it's just been something really quick. And reality is you might know things about him or stories about him but you don't know him. You have no substance with him. Another example is what I call the mutual friend friendship. Like we all have that friend that you go and you, people say, hey, do you know, uh, I'm having to come up with these names, Josiah. <laughs> I'm just naming my friends down here. <laughs> you know Josiah? And let's say that I don't know Josiah, but my friend, uh, Christian knows Josiah and I'm like, but I want to come off like Josiah's cool and he has a great jawline and he's buff and teaches good. And I'm like, I want to know Josiah. I want to act like I know Josiah. 
So I'm like, yeah, 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 I know Josiah. Reality is, is I don't know Josiah. Christian knows Josiah. I do. He's a mutual friend. <laughs> Good. Great guy to know. But that's just a mutual friend. I know nothing about Josiah. I'm banking off Christian's relationship with Josiah to determine mine. And so many of us have a mutual friendship connection with Jesus only. You're writing off the mutual connection with your parents. You've been writing on your parents' faith for far too long. You've been writing on your friend's faith. Like when something goes bad in your life, you hit up that really spiritual friend who seems to like have it together and you hit them up and you're like, hey, yo, you think you could like pray for me? Like you're closer to God than I am. And you've been writing off these other relationships, these mutual connections to Jesus without having your own connection to him. And the last one I have is what I call the glow up friendship. We know these people that at one point in life, they were just normal people. Maybe you went to high school together or you went to college together and you didn't really treat them like anything special because they were just like, they were just normal. And then one day you're creeping on Facebook and it's been forever since you've seen them and whoa, in some way they've made it. They became an influencer, they lost a bunch of weight, they're doing like a fitness program thing or they're like super successful in business, they started a company, they become famous on TikTok or something like that. And you find yourself like, what's up man? Or hey girl, like how's it going? And it's the glow up friendship because now that they are something and they're somebody, you wanna come around so you can feel important. I think so many of us, when we get before Jesus, standing at the gates of heaven and we see him, he's gonna glow up in our minds and we're gonna be like, oh no. On earth, like you were kind of just like insignificant to me, kind of just normal, everyone just talked about you, but you weren't like important enough to me. And suddenly you're like, hey Jesus, like remember me, I went to the porch. Like, gonna let me in? Like, can I come backstage? And you have this glow up friendship with Jesus. And if I ask you, and you're in any of these categories, hey, do you know Jesus? And you were to say yes, based off of one of these, you don't know him. That's not a friendship. That's not a relationship. A relationship takes time. It takes proximity. It takes repetition and hard work. It takes learning and being eager to learn. It takes love and devotion. That's how you get to know someone. That's a real relationship. The reality is, is none of these things that I've mentioned are real relationships. And I want you to ask yourself, do I really know Jesus? Like, do I just say, Lord, Lord, or do I come here and just sing songs about Jesus, or do I say all the right things, but the reality is, is he is Lord with my words, but not Lord of my life. But there's no real relationship. Because simply knowing his name, Jesus is saying here, that's, that's not it. James puts it this way in James 2.19, he says, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. It's like a whoop-de-doo moment. <laughs> Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. The demons live in the supernatural realm. 
They live in the spiritual realm. And so they have no choice but to believe in Jesus's existence. They see him, they've seen what he's done. They saw him die on the cross. They know that he exists. And I think a lot of us tonight, we believe that God is a good thing. We believe that God is real. We believe that Jesus exists, but we have the same problem as the demons. And hold up, I'm not calling y'all demons. But we share the same problem here because while they know he exists, their actions tell me that they don't see him as Lord. They see him as real, but they don't see him as Lord. And I think so many of us, we come here because we believe that Jesus is a good thing or heaven is a fun place that we wanna end up with. It's better than hell. And we see Jesus as a friend or like a guy that we can go to, but we don't see him as Lord. It's done nothing to produce change in our life. But when you know Jesus, you're gonna see him in a minute. Everything changes. And the sad part is, is James says that even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. The demons see Jesus and tremble in terror. That means that they have some kind of recognition of what he's capable of, of who he actually is. And my fear is, is that even demons have a more appropriate response to Jesus than the very people who claim to be his own children. Like even demons, I'll say it one more time, even demons have a more appropriate response in fearing and trembling at the name of Jesus than even those who claim to be his own children. Because it gets really easy in this watered down version of Christianity in America today to come into places like this and to forget the power of the name of Jesus. We come here and sometimes, I mean, I, I just wanna throw a righteous fit because we are singing songs about the testimony of Jesus pulling us out of darkness and into light. And I look around and I see, this is my testimony from death to life. I'm like, well, someone sing like they believe it. The demons believe and they tremble. They have a response when they see Jesus as real. When you see Jesus, there is always a response to follow when you truly see Jesus. But I think a lot of us haven't truly experienced Jesus. Sure, we say I'm a Christian, or yeah, I know about Jesus, but you don't know him. And Jesus is saying many, that's sobering, many, will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, that will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't want that to be us. I don't want him just to be Lord from our mouth. I want him to be Lord of our life. So what does it look like to really know him? If it's not just to profess and just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, what does it look like to have a real relationship with him? Jesus continues the verse and he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So what is the will of his father? His father being God, what is the will of God? Well, before I, before I tell us what the will of God is, I wanna make sure that we understand what it is not. Jesus lists out what it is not. 
The will of God is not a relationship or a relation, the will of God is not a resume of religious actions. Let me say it one more time. The will of God or a real relationship with Jesus is not a resume of religious actions. Because when we hear, hey, do the will of my father, that word do, it can be a red flag to some of us. And, that, and I get it because we say all the time here, it's not about what you do. It's all about what he's done. It's not about what you do, nothing that you can do. Ephesians 2, eight through nine says, not by your own works that no man may boast, but by grace through faith. Titus 3, five says he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. There is nothing that you can do. Jesus is not saying to do something. He even expounds on that with the, with the next verse. Here's what he says. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or do in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Do we not do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, I never knew you depart from me. And I read this and this is why this verse haunted me for all my life. On my best weeks, I mean, I'm just trying to read my Bible every day, y'all. Like, I'm being honest. I'm trying to like pray every day, read my Bible every day. And on my best days, I ain't casting out demons. I ain't never, I'm not casting out a demon yet. (laughs) I say yet. I'm not hearing the heavens open up and God speaking to me and saying, go and prophesy to the people of the porch. I haven't done that. I haven't. And these people are standing before Jesus and are like, we have casted out demons. We've prophesied in your name. We've done many signs and wonders in your name. And he's like, nope, not enough. Depart from me, never knew you. Ain't nobody saving these streets. Like, <laughs> I'm out here, like, I, I, have, I haven't even touched that resume. But that's the point that Jesus is making. It's not about a religious resume. It's not about religious activity. He doesn't want your activity. Again, he wants proximity. He wants you, not what you can do. He's telling these guys, hey, the best of the best of the religious leaders, that's the today, like the Bible study leaders, the theologians, the people who pray all the time, like the people who spend just hours and hours serving and helping widows and orphans, like doing and doing and doing. Are those all good things? Yes, but they're not the thing. What Jesus wants is not your works. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your devotion, your adoration, your affections. He wants you to trust him. He wants your love because he loves you. He loves you. He doesn't want a religious resume. And that is the most freeing thing to exhale and go, because for years in my life, I thought, if I just prayed enough, if I just talked about God enough, if I just came to church enough, if I was just the perfect preacher's kid, if I did all these right things and said all these right things in front of the right people, then look, God will be smiling down on me. And I kept striving and striving and striving. And some of you, you've been striving for your relationship with God your whole life because it's up to you. But he's saying here, People are gonna come and just list off all these things that they think are impressive and that they think they've done in my name. But I don't want a religious resume. I want a relationship with you. Right now, I'm trying to hire two people to work. 
with me at the porch and lots of resumes, lots of resumes. If it's one of you, I'm sorry we haven't gotten back to you. We're working through them. <laughs> um, and it's so funny, like I do this too. I'm an Enneagram three, the achiever. And I'm, you know, when we write our resumes, what we're doing is we're like thinking about the person receiving the resume. And so the reality is, is you ran social media for your cousin's startup photography business, but on the resume, you're like social media manager for a local photography business in Dallas, Texas. And it's like your cousin's startup and it's like got three followers and we'll do anything to make ourselves sound more impressive. And I think Jesus is saying here, hey, you can come before me and try to list up all these impressive spiritual acts on this religious resume and it doesn't matter. I'm not impressed by your deeds. I want you, I want you. Being a Christian is not just doing Christian things. It's not just coming to the porch. It's not just reading a Devo, but it's entering into a real intimate devoted relationship with Jesus. So what does that actually look like if it's not these things, if it's not just reading my Bible, if it's not just coming to church, then what is it? He says this, who gets into heaven? Who spends eternity with me? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Knowing Jesus, knowing that you know that you know that you know is doing the will of God. And I think every, we get asked all the time here, how do I know what God's will is for my life? Like, I think we think that there's like three doors and God's like, my will is picking the right door and it's all up to you. And it's like, how do I know which job or which person or which thing, which next step, what should I do? And we're like all so concerned about God's will for my life, God's will for my life. And we're missing the point because God makes his will for every Christian's life really simple but it changes everything if you would just do it. And it's this, in John chapter six, verse 29, Jesus speaking again, it says, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. What's God's will? Believing in his son, believing in his plan for humanity, believing what we call the gospel, the good news, that Jesus, God's one and only son, left heaven and came and stepped down into our dirt, into our mess, into our broken world, yet he remained perfect, making him the perfect sacrifice because our sin deserved a penalty. Our sin required a payment for a holy God. And Jesus was that perfect payment. He was sacrificed on the cross and there the wrath of God poured out on him and it should have been us. He died in our place. He came and died and was buried and rose again so that we could know him and make him known and live forever with him. And he says, do you wanna know the will of God to believe that? To believe the best news ever shared? To believe that God is so obsessed with you, God loves you so much that he would do anything to be with you forever? Jesus isn't some dictator up there that's like, you, not you, not enough, you, nope, nope, nope. He's like, I want all of you, I died for you. 
And if you want to be with me, I just need you to believe, trust, love. Believe that I am for you. I am with you. I died for you. I love you. And enter into a relationship with me. Why is Jesus so obsessed with this idea of belief? Like, why does Jesus want us so badly to believe that he loves us? It's because he knows that radical belief produces radical obedience. And he knows that belief in him determines behavior for him. Belief determines our behavior. And right now, when you look at your life and you look at your behaviors, what does it say about what you believe? Do you believe that he is Lord? Do you live like he is worthy of your all? Do you live like he is worthy of being worshiped? Do you say no to the things of the world? Do you say no to your own plans and live for his plans for your life? Do you live according to his word? Do you do the things that he wants? Do you say no to your sin and yes to him? What does your behavior say about your belief in Jesus? Because if you believe that he loves you, your right response is to receive that and respond in loving him in return. Not loving the world, not loving yourself, loving him. When you believe in Jesus, you receive eternal life and respond in this life and your life begins to produce fruit. That's when the love of Jesus takes root in your life and produces fruit. When you believe that Jesus died for you and he loves you, it takes root in your life and it produces behavior, it produces fruit of life change. Falling in love leads to life change. I can testify. I fell in love last year. Her name's Jenna, she's not here tonight. She's watching online. Hey, sweetie. <laughs> and guys, falling in love produces life change. Everything's changing about my life. Priorities are changing. The way I spend my time is changing. The way I'm pursuing people is changing. The ways that I'm communicating is changing. The ways that I'm cleaning things and serving in ways that I wasn't before is changing. <laughs> Everything's changing because falling in love produces life change. Me and her are in this thing right now at Watermark. It's a premarital like class for eight weeks called Merge. I would highly recommend, listen, I'm about, to, I'm about to be a salesman. If you are in a serious relationship or about to be engaged and you want a God-honoring, God-glorifying marriage, do merge. Don't think about it, just do it. It is changing me. I'm learning so much, it's amazing. Merge, look it up, Watermark website. But at Merge last week, we were talking about the roles of husbands and wives and we sat down and I, I, I asked her questions like, hey, what can I better do to love and serve you? I wasn't asking people that before. I was worried about me. But falling in love produces life change. She's looking at me and she's asking, hey, how can I better support you as a leader of our relationship? And whoo, but <laughs> I'm like, you keep asking that. You keep asking questions like that, you're doing just fine. <laughs> but we're asking these questions and we're doing the hard work of communicating and getting things right because we're in love. And when you're in love, your life changes. No more just Saturdays with the bros all the time. 
I gotta ask my lady, can I have a Saturday with the bros? <laughs> Things begin to change. It's so cool, God's so just sovereign. The, the video that started off Grant, that's the, he's gonna be the best man at my wedding, my best friend. And we had no idea that it was gonna align the night that like all of this kind of came together. And we were watching the video today before this and he talked about where everything changed for him is when he read Matthew 7, right before this part, it, Jesus said, hey, you will know them by their fruit. And I was like, Grant, that's what I'm talking about tonight. That falling in love leads to life change. That when a belief in Jesus takes root in one's life, it produces fruit that changes you. That when you believe in Jesus, your behaviors begin to change. And guys, Grant tonight is actually sitting in the left top corner. I can't remember which one he said, but he's sitting up there and you know why? He's been serving at the porch and doing different things. And he's sitting up there because he said, I wanna remember how far Jesus has brought me. Because now he serves down here sometimes. And as he watched his story of grace tonight, he said, I used to come to the porch, professing Jesus with my mouth, saying I followed Jesus, but there was nothing different in my life. And he would come here week after week and sit up there but Jesus was chasing after him, saying, Grant, I want your all. I want your heart's affections, not your religious actions. I want you. And guys, as someone who has been walking closely, best man at my wedding, I have seen Jesus take so much root in his life. And there's been so much fruit that is just overflowing out of him. You heard it in his story. And now he's going to tell more and more people about Jesus. That's happening every Tuesday night here that someone says, I'm doing it. No more wondering, no more questioning, no more letting this passage and others like it haunt me. I want to know that I know that I know that I'm in love with Jesus and he loves me. Amen. And their lives begin to change. Miracles take place every week down here up front. And fruit, the fruits of the spirit, the Bible says in Galatians, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, self faithfulness. That's what begins to mark their life. That's what begins to come out of them because they were changed by Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hey, you wanna spend eternity with me? Know the will of my father. That's how. Believe that he sent me to die for you so that you can live for him. That night, we had given up hope at that ATO party. And we were walking away just thinking like, you know what? I don't think I can, I don't think Connor's gonna come. Let's go home. And I hear, JD? And I knew, I knew his voice because we had lived together. And I turn around and I see Connor and he's like, get in here. They're with me, they're with me. And my chest came out and I looked at those pledges. <laughs> I grabbed my friends and I walked through those, the gate. Because my relationship with Connor gave me the credentials to come into the party. That's what I want for you. I want your relationship with Jesus to define your life in such a way that you get to join the party in heaven for all of eternity, lifting up hands, singing to God. And I want you to know that you know 
that you know, that you're not gonna be someone that Jesus looks at and says, hey, I don't know you. You're not gonna be someone that just said, I'm a Christian, but live like the world. You're not gonna be someone that did the things, the church things or the Instagram bios that said, yeah, I'm a Christian, but instead of doing and doing, you spent time being intimate and getting to know Jesus. And because of that, when that day comes, you're so sure because you spent your time on earth knowing your Lord in heaven. That's my hope. And if that's not you tonight, there is no better time than tonight to get it right. To come down front and say, I wanna know, I wanna know, I wanna know that I get to be with Jesus forever. Not to get some security of heaven and not hell, but because I just am so in love with Jesus because he loves me. That's what you want. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the point. I just wanna be where he is. And if he's gonna be in heaven forever, that's where I wanna be. That can be true of you tonight. John 1.12 says, but to all who did receive him, who called on his holy name, he gave the right to become children of God. How can you know that you know Jesus? Make him Lord of your life. Enter into a relationship with him and walk with him till heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, we worship you. We praise you, Father. We praise you that you loved us enough to send your son down to earth to give us this message, a message of hope, a message that says, hey, it is my one desire that I am with every single child in heaven. And so take heed to this warning that many people are gonna come and say, Lord, Lord, I don't want the things that they say, I want them. Many are gonna come and say, but God, didn't I, didn't I? And he goes, I don't want the things that you did, I want you. So God, if there's someone tonight that thinks it's up to them or thinks that you're not worth it, would you change their heart right now? Would we see you as the prize? Would you see you as worth it? Would we understand your love for us? The links that you went through, that you could be in a relationship with us forever. And may that belief in you change our behavior and allow us to respond accordingly. We wanna be people who know you and to let what we know to be true to change how we live forever until heaven. We are living for heaven. We are living for you. We worship you. We worship with the angels and all of your people in heaven right now. It's your name that I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.